This podcast was recorded on the ancestral lands on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and the Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. This is Humans on Rights, a podcast advocating for the education of human rights. Here's your host, Stuart Murray. Children's rights, what an incredibly important topic in today's world. I am joined today by an expert who is going to talk to us about advocacy around children's rights. My guest today is Sherry Gott. Now, she has some titles behind her name, which I'm going to ask what they stand for. It's MSW and RSW, Sherry Gott. She is a member of Sapatawea Cree Nation and speaks Swampy Cree fluently. She has over 30 years of experience working in the areas of child welfare, education, and mental health. Sherry graduated in 2019 with a Master of Social Work degree and has played a central role in missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls initiatives. In 2011, she received an Aboriginal Social Work Society Award for her contributions to community. In her role as Manitoba advocate, Sherry looks forward to connecting with Indigenous peoples across Turtle Island and advocating for those that need us most. In her free time, which she doesn't have a lot of, but in her free time, she enjoys camping and getting together with her family. Sherry Gott, welcome to Humans on Rights. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. So, Sherry, one of the things that uh, it said, and I asked just to maybe just a quick uh, explanation, you have some initials behind your name, MSW and RSW. What, what do those stand for? Ma- MSW stands for Masters in Social Work. And RSW is a registered social worker. Um, I'm accountable to a body, a college of social workers uh, in Manitoba. Here we are today. And now you're, you're, is your title, are you the executive director of the Manitoba Advocate for Children and Youth? Actually, I'm the advocate. Okay, the advocate. It's actually the, um, the person in charge of the advocate office. You speak Swampy Cree fluently. Have you maintained that ability? Sherry, even in, in 2023? Uh, yes, I have. I'd like to think I do. Um, I'm not as, as good as my sister. My sister speaks uh, the old Cree, and I'm kind of in between. <laughs> Sherry, tell me a little bit about you. So you grew up, uh, as we said, in uh, Sapatawea Cree Nation. Tell us a little bit about what it was like when you were a young person growing up there, what you experienced, what ultimately drove you to become who you are today in terms of the advocate for Manitoba children and youth? I grew up in Sapatoya Cree Nation, which is a community north of Winnipeg. It's about a six to seven hour drive. It's uh, surrounded by beautiful lakes. It's a very uh, beautiful community. And I was raised by my grandparents who lived off the land. Uh, They had a trap line. And so I enjoyed being there, I felt very free being there, and there was no worry about anything. Like it was just being a child, right, in the, on the land. And um, I watched my grandmother uh, take care of people when the children were born. She was the first one to uh, bring the children into the world and kiss them on the forehead. I didn't understand at that time what that meant, but now I do in my later years what that means. 
you know, unfortunately, the impact of the residential school uh, impacted me also. And I was taken from my community when I was seven years old and put into a residential school under the guise of neglect. I don't know how that happened, but I do know that, you know, I was taken from my grandparents and put in a residential school. And there I stayed for approximately 10 years. I loved watching my grandmother tend to people because she also looked after the people when she was kind of like the local undertaker. Um, When people were dying, she would be the one to take care of the people that have deceased. So she was in that role of a caretaker most of her life. And uh, I watched her and how she respectfully treated people. So, you know, and to me, she was in the role of an advocate herself to ensure that people were respected in when they uh, came into this world and when they left this world. So that's how I I think that influence, I, well, I know for sure that influenced my life to be a person that also walked beside people, you know, advocating and carrying that voice for them when they couldn't do it. So I think that's why I am in the role I am in. You know, I never, never said to myself when I was a young girl, I'm going to be the manageable advocate for children and youth. I never said that. Here I am today. And it is a huge responsibility, especially when I'm, I'm the advocate for all the children in Manitoba, every child. That's a huge, huge responsibility to carry. I want to be very careful uh, how, you know, we talk a little bit about, you know, your, your earlier upbringing, Sherry, and I don't even want you to sort of go into detail, but I just think so often when you hear about the 60s scoop or you hear about issues with children being taken away from their parents or their grandparents or whoever was raising them, the line is, I was taken away from my parents to residential school. That is, you know, I can't even imagine what it means when you sort of, you find out that you're being taken away. And so I I apologize. I don't really want to go in an area that is, uh, might be sort of troubling for you. I I appreciate you sharing it. I just want you to, to know that I think that as those of us that are trying to sort of learn and understand and make sense of, you know, what is truth and reconciliation and how can we play a role in reconciliation? Part of it is really understanding the emotional role that happens when someone is is taken away. Mm-hmm. I applaud what you're saying because I do think if there was somebody who is going to be an advocate for all the children of Manitoba, you would understand the role that happened and you experienced as a child. Mm-hmm. Sherry, you know, let me just uh, kind of move through your life's journey for a moment, if you will. What made you continue to be interested in education? I know we rarely hear this with uh, survivors of, of the residential school. One of the things that was instilled in me is the value of education. I guess, you know, I often talk about her um, in my later years in the 70s. Uh, I met um, a nurse who is Indigenous. She came to work at the residential school that I was in. And she took me under her wing and she made a quite an impact on me. You know, and she passed on a couple of years ago and you know, her name was Mrs. Leonard. One day she came up to me and she hugged me and she kind of, you know, grabbed me and said, you know what, Cherry, I'm going to tell you something. She said, you can be whatever you want to be when you grow up. And that made an impact on me when she said that to me, because I thought, yeah, nobody can stop me but myself. Right. So I've always been um, a learner. Like I've always wanted to know everything. 
in my younger years, you know, I would grab a book and I would kind of just read it as quick as I can, grab another book, read and read it again. You know, I've always been like that. And I knew that, you know, I had the ability to learn. I whizzed through high school. Then I went to college for uh, four years. Um, I did uh, upgrading and then I did my uh, applied counseling. You know, and the, and the thing with my applied counseling, I couldn't afford the books. So I just borrowed books and, um, you know, and then when I was doing my upgrading, I was competing with another guy in my classroom that just, he had the, the thirst for knowledge also, like I did. I would escape in these things, right? And, and I think that was kind of like my saving grace for me. As tough as it was to be away from my family, I also knew that there were some things that were going on in my community that I needed to get away from. I also had an older brother that told me that he showed me the road and he said, you know, there's more to life than just here. You know, I've had different people in my life that kind of guided me and um, instilled things in me that made an impact on me because he left. Also, he had gone to residential school and then he came back. He experienced life outside of the community. So he knew that there was more to life than just being in the community of my community, right? So uh, I just think that I need to recognize those people that made that impact on me. Thank you for, for, for sharing that, Sherry. Obviously, in, you, you were a good student in school by the sounds of it. Yes, yes, I was. I, I wanted to learn. I had that thirst for knowledge and uh, I was always looking for something that interested me. Right. And one of the things that, uh, you know, after when I said I would watch my grandmother take care of people and walk beside people, it's just I somehow kind of knew that I would be in a helping profession somewhere along the way. And when you were learning, you know, of course, at that point, you know, you wouldn't be, would the books you were reading, would they be in, in English or Swampy Cree? In English. Yeah, in English, of course. The only thing that I that I saw in Cree was uh, my grandmother's Bible, which has been framed. It's been framed? It's been framed. Yeah, her Bible has been framed. Wow. And where is it? It's uh, with my mom. Oh, incredible. Yeah, I had it framed. I think I gave it to her for her 80-something birthday. Did you ever go on a, a trap line when you were uh, younger? Did you ever experience that or have to go on a trap line to assist or help out? Yes, um, I I lived with them on their trap line when I was a young girl, and uh, that's how I I learned how to live off the land through them. Right, and I watched them, you know, do their uh, things on the trap line, like hunting, trapping, skinning deer, skinning rabbit, like all those things. So you know, um, I learned a lot of that when I was growing up. Not to put too fine of a point on it, Sherry, but when you say you learned it, you were involved. You physically were involved in you know, learning how to skin an animal, but why that was important, what you were doing with that. Uh, and as you say, all under the guise of understanding the importance of respecting and living off the land. Yes, definitely. My grandparents were, uh, you know, they had a trap, a trap line not far from the community, from where I grew up. So they were there throughout the summer and winter and, you know, and then they would go back to the res- reserve once in a while. And so it was, I mean, it was a good life. It was very simple, but it was a good life. There's a lot to be said about uh, putting the word simple in front of life. If you can have a simple life, I mean, it. there's a lot of bountiful uh, joy that can come out of that. Yes. 
So Sherry, you're, you know, you've had tremendous experience growing up in uh, Sapatoweic uh, Cree Nation. You've experienced a lot of uh, love of, of learning. When you were going to university, did you kind of have a path about where you might want to go, what you might want to get involved in at that point, what you were going to use your education as kind of a springboard for? Yes, I did, uh, because I had been in college. So it was a step into the social work program. I was already working in child welfare when I started doing my degree back in 1992. I was in a cohort uh, with a uh, other Indigenous uh, people in the community that were in Dauphin, actually. You know, I, I was very um, fortunate to be accepted into that because, I mean, although I worked in child welfare, I hadn't really uh, started to learn what skills you needed at that point other than working with people. And I enjoyed it, right? So I started um, doing that on a distant ed basis. Right. So you were already getting some practical experience as you were getting kind of the academic training. Yes, yes. And fortunately, very, I feel very fortunate. I was working for a, a CFS agency at that time that supported us to go to university one week out of the month. And then it was your responsibility to ensure that you kept your readings up to date, your homework done for the other three weeks. So that's what the distant ed learning was about. And it's difficult. <laughs> I bet. And so when you said CFS, just always just to clarify, so Child and Family Service? Yes, Child and Family Services Agency. You know, now we look at, and I mean, there's a bit of history, which I, I found fascinating when I went on to the uh, Macy or Manitoba Advocacy for Child and Youth uh, website. And, you know, I guess some of this in Manitoba, uh, Sherry, came out of the, uh, I think it was the, the Kimmelman Report. Yes. That was in 1990 or 1985, I think. Mm -hmm. And and so out of that, that was to do, of course, with, as you mentioned, sort of the 60s scoop. And then just the timeline, I just thought was fascinating that in 1991, Canada ratifies the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. And in 1993, the Office of the Children's Advocate opens here in Manitoba. Mm-hmm. You know, those, when you think about those dates, it's very, fairly fresh. I mean, it's not like this was done in the early 1900s. We're talking about 1985, 1993. At that time, when the office of the, um, the children's advocate, when it opened, what, what were you doing at that time? What was your, what were you studying or what were you involved in before? Cause I know you're, you're involved now just for listeners. You're the advocate. But at that time, when it opened, were you involved in some area that you, thought, wow, this is a great idea for this, uh, for this office to be open. In 1993, I was already working in the child welfare office. I was, you know, a part of an abuse investigation team. So the advocate office was under the child welfare legislation. It was overseen by the Department of Families at that time. So there was no independence. The uh, advocacy office was still reporting to the Department of Families. So when it became independent of any government influence, this is when we could they could really do some advocacy work on behalf of the children without being penalized by anybody, by an agency. We could call out agencies when they didn't provide any uh, service to the children. They could call out government based on if there was, a say, a tragedy in one of the communities with the children. We could ask government to ensure that services are being provided to those children. Yeah, I think that the timing of all that 
is is very uh, important. Yeah, the Kimmelman report was based on an inquiry when children were being scooped up from their communities and adopted out to the States or all over Canada. So he uh, actually recommended an independent office, and that's how the mantle of advocate for children and youth became into fruition. Just to, to clarify, because I, I do think that it's uh, interesting to know the evolution of some of these organizations, Sherry. So at one point, as you say, it was a part of government. It was a part of a department in government. And now it has, uh, when I say now, I guess back in 91, was it that it became an independent body or was it was it after 91 that it became independent? I think it was around then. Um, it wasn't too long ago, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> and I can't re- recall the date, but I know that in, uh, in 2018, I think it was, it's been five years, the legislation became independent of government. You know, it's very recent and it was an all-party agreement that it be an independent office. So that allows you, as you say, Sherry, as the advocate, to look across the broad spectrum of government or non-government, it doesn't matter, but it doesn't anyway inhibit you for being what you are, which is the advocate. There is, there's no issue that somebody is going to kind of quietly say to you, maybe you shouldn't do this because it might be embarrassing to this organization or to this government. So you have the ability to, to be a true, true advocate on behalf of uh, children and youth. Yes, it's very important, especially when it comes to child's rights, uh, that we are not influenced by any policy or government. Um, it's, it's important to have that independence. That way, you know, we can call out uh, service providers, agencies, departments on the lack of services. If they don't provide the services that children need, it's, it's, it's very important to have independence. Just following that that kind of that process up, Sherry, if if you on be, as an advocate call out an organization, doesn't matter what it is, but you call out an organization, you make public that the way that they, the children's rights are being violated, uh, you have the ability to get a pulpit, call that out, which is appropriate. What ability do you have or what process is there? So once you find that there's something wrong that's being done to, to a child, uh, what ability do you have to ensure that that something is being corrected? Well, we can influence policy changes, of course, uh, when we make recommendations uh, on a yearly basis. Twice a year, actually, we kind of do a report card on government, on the different departments that we um, have influence on. We call them compliance reports. And so we release a report every six months, uh, June and December. And we track those recommendations that we make based on our reports. Since this office has become independent, I think there's been like 13 reports or 14 reports released, and each report has a recommendation. So we track those recommendations and make sure that government is responding to them. And if they're not, we put a grade on them and say, okay, they've only been compliant like 50%. Some recommendations have been closed down because they were 100% compliant. So there's um, on our website is our um, compliance uh, policy, our manual that how we follow and how we uh, ensure that compliance is being followed by each department. Okay. And your website is is what, uh, Sherry? Manitobaadvocate.ca. 
Sherry, just a general question. When you talk about advocating for children and youth, what is there an age bracket that you know they kind of you define at some point does does some age not quite qualify for you as an advocate to act on their behalf? Up to eighteen years of age and then eighteen to twenty one if they are extended in care of child welfare. Uh, we are hoping that our legislation is up for review uh, this this year because uh, uh, one of the things was that a recommendation that was made by government that our legislation be reviewed every five years. So we're up for a review right now. And we're hoping that in our legislative review that our mandate will be expanded to 25. As long as they're under care, is that correct? Or or it doesn't matter? No, as long as they're under care. Yeah, so expanded, expanded to 25. Yes, and not to get too much in the weeds, but just out of curiosity, um, Sherry, when you say the legislation is up for review, who reviews it? The review was supposed to be started in March of this year, but because of the pending election, the government had reached out and said, like, is it okay if we set this aside until after elections? And I said, well, it's up to you guys. Yes, I'm fine with that. We can start our inter- internal work here, and we have. Now that the new government is in, we're waiting for a committee to be developed by the, the government to be able to review, review our legislation. So we're hoping that that work will start probably within the next month. In the meantime, you can still do your own uh, prep work. You don't have to wait for, for the government to do that. Actually, we're calling on our stakeholders to help us with that process. And we've been kind of promoting our legislative review to different departments, letting them know that this is coming down the pipe. Sherry, with your experience, why are you advocating or recommending that the age go from 21 to 25 with the understanding that, that they're still in, in care? What's, what have you discovered since you've been advocate or working in that area that you think it's important to extend that age? Well, part of the reason is that because children, as they age out of care, they're aging out into homelessness. And we're finding that, you know, they don't have a history, a rental history, and some Kids are not, like at 21 years old, that's quite young to be actually trying to go out and live on your own. So the brain development, you know, is a concern of ours. Um, Children are not ready to go out on their own. We can work with those kids to find appropriate resources between the ages of 21 to 25, make sure that they're appropriately taken care of, their needs are met, their basic needs are fulfilled. So that is one of the reasons why we're trying to get that. And also child welfare legislation is changing, so it could mirror that piece. How, how young have you seen children be, um, you know, being brought in or you've had to advocate for? What ages, when you look at the young side of things? Uh, infants. Yeah. Because uh, in Manitoba, we've seen an increase in infant deaths. You know, and and there's a lack of response from government on uh, providing the appropriate resources to make sure that the children are um, being, you know, safe sleep services are provided, such as a crib. Some people can't afford to buy cribs. So, you know, and then um, ensuring that children have the appropriate resources so they are able to thrive. Yeah, babies. Yeah, and again, that's uh, that's throughout the entire province of Manitoba. Yes, yes, it is. How do you, um, I mean, you know, the, 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 the budgeting for your office must be uh, a very challenging, well, it's very challenging to find a number when you realize that you're talking about infants that don't have cribs. And so you've got to have the ability to 
supply that to when you're talking about somebody who is getting to the age of, you know, now 21, you're hopefully it's going to go to 25 as they, as they age out. The number of areas that you are responsible, Sherry, as an advocate uh, is enormous. It's not three or four items that you're looking at. I mean, it's, it's really people's lives. Yeah. Um, for us, operationally, like we are continuing to have to go to government and ask for more funds for our department. Although we're uh, independent of government, we still have to go to them for funding. And we don't necessarily provide the resources that the children need. What we do is we advocate to ensure that they get that crib that they need. Yeah, we advocate on their behalf. We amplify their voices. You know, that's, uh, that is such an important uh, role for, for particularly for infants, you know, to given a chance to be brought into the world and, and uh, have a chance to succeed and be healthy. And, and, uh, and, and as we all know, what we, what we would like for children. You know, Sherry, one of the things that I, um, I went onto your website and on the website, it talked about the top rights we work to protect of children's rights. They were all there under the various articles. Uh, the right to express opinions and be heard was, was number one on on that what you check give us a little explanation about what does that mean when you you know when you're looking at the fact that that's one of the top rights you work to protect the right to express opinions and be heard what does that uh, entail you know one of the things that we do in, here at our office is we have a youth ambassador squad which is yaz it's a made up of youth from ages up to 18 and what we do is we have them when we release reports at our office, we have them review our report and they have a right to their opinion on that report. And they have a right to be heard if they provide an opinion based on that report, based on a recommendation, we actually ensure that their voices are in that report. So that is how we use that right. Every child has a right to be heard by an adult. From your experience, have you released a report that perhaps has been challenged on that basis from the youth ambassadors? Yes, we've released several reports. We have uh, every two hours, which is a a domestic violence uh, report. Um, We also have released uh, Tina Fontaine report, which included the the youth voice. We've released several, actually several Aisha Hudson reports the Memengua Project report that was released just recently. So, and we have the youth voice there. You know, you mentioned every two hours. Mm-hmm. What, what, is, what is that report? It's a report about uh, the experience of children uh, experiencing domestic violence within their family. And they uh, are impacted by that social issue. A child, when they experience domestic violence, it creates a lot of fear within their homes. And so children have a right to express that. Right? So uh, our report, our youth ambassador squad was a, a huge, uh, they provided input into that report and their voice was heard and how it impacted them. In other words, I mean, you, you know, they're, they're feeling that from their perspective, their voice is being heard. Yes, definitely. Yes. I won't go through all five of them, although I'm going to read all five, but I'm just going to ask you maybe to comment on a couple, please, Sherry. So the first one I I, I mentioned, Article 12 of the top rights that you're working to protect, Article 12, right to express opinions and be heard. 
Article 9 is the rights to contact with family. Article 25, right to quality services while in government care. And Article 27, right to food, clothing, and safe home. Article 24, right to physical and mental health care. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about Article 27, right to food, clothing, and safe home. Well, I mean, that's a basic need, right? Food, shelter, and home. I think that, you know, children have a right to that, to be provided a, a home that is safe for them and provides all, meets all their basic needs. Children need that to be able to thrive, uh, to be able to succeed in life and uh, go on to college, university, graduate from high school, right? So those foundations are needed for that child to thrive. And so, Sherry, if you're looking at sort of those rights, the right to food, clothing, and safe home, is there a difference in terms of your position as an advocate to, for example, if you're advocating on behalf of uh, a First Nations child who may be uh, living on the reserve versus a family who's moved into a city, is there any difference in how you advocate for that child or the ability for you to advocate for that child? No, there is no difference. I can't see, you know, what the difference would be. The only thing is in in First Nation communities, there's a shortage of housing, of course. But as long as a safe environment is provided for that child, right? So we would still advocate no matter what. Right. You know, every child is unique, of course, and every family is unique. We try not to paint every uh, child or family with the same brush. Children's needs are different. Community's needs are different. So we try to uh, work in a way that's respectful. You know, Sherry, uh, just when I uh, when I listen to you and and look at your background and what you've done, and uh, you know, I've I've gone through the the Macy, the Manitoba Advocate for Child and Youth Services website. I'd just be curious to see. I mean, we're 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 recording this podcast relatively early in the day in the business day. And before we started recording, I said, how are you doing? She said, it's been a busy day. <laughs> yes. Tell me a little bit about, I don't think there's probably such a thing as a typical day for Sherry Gott, but just share with the listeners what a day that you would like to share that something, so people get a sense of what a day in the life of the advocate is like in Manitoba. Well, I mean, one of the things is that, you know, every day we receive some kind of news that a child has been impacted by lack of services uh, in Manitoba. And it's very sad when, you know, uh, we hear children have died as as a result of a child death, as a result of lack of, you know, services in the communities, uh, suicide, lack of mental health services, advocating for a child that's just walked in through the streets, looking for a bus ticket or a safe, you know, a safe place to go. Um, We ensure that, you know, my officers, they ensure that, they reach out to the appropriate services for that child. I get emails constantly from different people. And it's it's like that right from the, win- the minute I wake up, my phone starts buzzing. So it's very busy. And also ensuring that, you know, our reports are done in a timely fashion, respectful, uh, meeting with community, trying to develop relationships, you know, and we're not so stuck just in Winnipeg. You know, we have Manitoba, the whole province. Uh, I've been reaching out to various First Nations to try and work with them. As you know, the I don't know if you know this, but the child welfare world is changing. Federal legislation is being incorporated into Manitoba of child welfare. 
And I'm hoping that we could work with most of our First Nation communities to ensure that those children continue to receive services. So it's it's very busy, I must say that, you know, and there's staff. I have a staff of 45 people. There's a change in government. So we've had to pivot in a way uh, where we can uh, ensure appropriate services are provided to children and families. Uh, so it's, it, yeah, there's a lot to do. Yeah, for sure. I've been in my role for one year now. I've, uh, it's a five-year appointment. Just celebrated my first year. There's a potential that I could be reappointed for another five years, and I can only serve two, two terms, and that's it. So I'm going to try my best to do as much as I can in the five years that I've been appointed. The most you can do is is two terms, which is 10 years. Mm-hmm. You have to think, Sherry, with the responsibility and the emotional impact that you would be or the person, the advocate would be dealing with. I would think 10 years is probably, you know, enough to sort of let people, it would take a toll on you, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Definitely. I mean, I've been in the business for uh, of child welfare for like 30 plus years, 30 years now. Yes, it's taken a toll. Uh, it it would take a toll, especially at the pace that we're at here at the advocate office. You know, it that that, that is a good thing that I would be rolled out of the office and uh, somebody else come in with fresh ideas, perhaps more experience. And I think that the work of uh, amplifying the voices of children is very important work, and all children in Manitoba, not just you know, a specific uh, uh, group of people, but every child in Manitoba. Sherry, just, I'm not sure, you mentioned that uh, the comment about there's some legislation being changed, so federal legislation. What is it currently and what is it going to be changed to? What does the federal legislation change to? And what impact, if any, would it have on on you as the advocate? Right now, um, First Nation communities can have their own legislation of child welfare legislation under Bill C-92, C-24. Uh, the, the Act Respecting First Nation Inuit uh, Métis Children. So that was uh, enacted uh, January 1st of 2022. So communities are working on getting their own legislation, and it's federal legislation. So they would no longer have to follow the provincial legislation that's in place right now. The impact on our office is because we're a provincial body, a provincial entity, we really don't have any say in a in federal legislation, although I am talking about it now and trying to get that, uh, trying to get into some of uh, MOUs with uh, First Nations so we can continue to work and amplify the voices of those children. We are still in the process of uh, working out through uh, working through those MOUs to ensure that, you know, those services are provided to those children under federal legislation. Was the impact of the federal legislation, Sherry, in your opinion, was it to strengthen the role that the advocate could could engage in? I think Indigenous people have been trying to uh, ensure that they look after their own children. We do support that, you know, that they have their own federal legislation. For us, as the advocate office, because we're provincially legislated, we really don't have any authority over the services on reserve right now. That's why I've been busy trying to develop relationships, working collaboration with First Nation, ensure that there's a respectful dialogue and respectful process in place. It's taken a while and I'm still working on that. So 
I don't know what, you know, the result of our office would be uh, in the end. Like, I don't know. There's only two communities that have had their own legislation enacted already. In Manitoba, two communities in Manitoba. One in Manitoba and one in Saskatchewan. Okay. I guess it would be up to First Nation whether or not they want to work with us. That's up to them. And again, because it's a it's federal legislation coming in and you represent Manitoba, you're created by legislation that is provincial as opposed to federal. Yes, I am in my role as an advocate, advocating for uh, federal advocates at this point. I've been talking about it quite a bit and letting people know, what about the children's voice? What What's going to happen to that federally? Right. So nobody's talked about it. I don't know, you know what the process will be with that. So nobody's really saying anything other than asking us for our opinion on um, what kind of support that we can provide at this point. And Sherry, are you aware, is there an advocate, uh, the, the role that you currently have here in Manitoba, is there the equivalent role in the other provinces across Canada and the territories? Not that I'm aware of at this point. You know, I belong to the Canadian Council of Child and Youth Advocates, which is an advocate for each province except Ontario. Each province has an advocate, so I'm part of that committee. And so we haven't really had a discussion on it. Uh, We are trying to, we are expressing our concerns with respect to not having a federal advocate. You know, it'll be interesting to see how that, you know, shakes out. Um, Presumably, there isn't anybody drafting legislation federally or, you know, in any other province that is going to do anything other than to ensure there's more support for, for children. Yes. For sure. And, you know, it's uh, the federal government uh, is funding the agencies th- that are going to be in place, as far as I know. But with the province, I don't know what they're going to do there. Uh, there's still children care under provincial care. I don't know what that funding is going to look like. It's very unstable right now, you know, with the system. So, yeah, it's interesting what's going on. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And you're right in the thick of it, Sherry. So, you know, I think you know, just with you look at your background, uh, as you say, over 30 years in in kind of this environment and looking after children and, and understanding the role, um, perhaps we're very fortunate to have you in the role now just as an advocate because you can see where this may or may not improve. Hopefully it's all about improving, but if something isn't quite working, hopefully you can, you know, stick your arm up and sort of say, hey, wait a minute, this is not going to work. Uh, I can tell you, you need to sort of address this on behalf of children. And I would suspect that we get somebody's attention pretty quickly. Yeah, it has a little bit. It has a bit. There's a, the needle has moved a little bit as I continue to be in my role and express my uh, concerns with respect to uh, not having a federal advocate in place. I'm hoping that they will, you know, ensure that that person will be in place for the sake of the children. Sherry, if there were people listening to this and saying, you know, I never even knew that Manitoba had an advocate for children and youth, what would be the one thing as you are looking at your role? And, you know, I would talk about legacy because sometimes legacy has this notion that people are sort of saying, you know, I I, I did this because I wanted to create a legacy. I mean, that's okay. And and I'm not trying to be uh, judgmental. I'm simply saying it's like people that apply for awards and they don't get the awards and they're disappointed. Versus those people that all of a sudden are working their tails off, somebody taps them on the shoulder and sort of says, hey, you know, you've been nominated for this award. And it's like, what the heck? I didn't even know anything about the award, never heard about it. But people are being acknowledged for work that they're doing because it's in their heart, it's in their spirit, it's what they want to do. 
what would you like to leave listeners to kind of think about in your role as advocate for on behalf of Manitoba children and youth? I think that under the UNCRC, uh, uh, the United Nations Convention Rights of the Child, the children have rights, right? And I think that their voices matter. You know, sometimes we tend to not to listen to children. I think for me, not having a voice as a young child and being put in residential school and stuff like that, I think that children need to be respected. Their knowledge is amazing and their value and their insight we value as an advocate office. We need to listen to that and value what they have to say. It's very important. Yeah, yeah, well said. And the other thing is, I feel that I'm laying the foundation for future, the future. You know, I've heard out there in the communities, like I'm the first Indigenous Cree woman to be uh, appointed in this position in the 30 years that we've been around. So, you know, I've heard out there, I want to go to college, I want to go to university from little kids that see me, (laughs) see me as the advocate. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's so awesome. You know, maybe someday that's what I could do. Right. So inspiring some youth out there. So that's what I want to leave. You can, you know, you can do it. Go to university, go to college, graduate from high school. You can do it. Yeah. That's the legacy I want to leave. Yeah. Well, and it's a great, it's a great legacy. It's like, I mean, it's almost full circle back to the person who basically took you aside and said, you know, Sherry, you can be anything you want to be. Yes. Look at how you've used that to put yourself in a position to advocate on behalf of all the children and youth in Manitoba. Pretty impressive, Sherry Gott, must tell you. Pretty impressive. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, we'll keep in touch. And uh, I, I appreciate you taking some time uh, to speak to me on Humans on Rights uh, about uh, children's rights. Uh, there's, uh, there's a lot to be uh, uh, watched on this, a lot to be unpacked. But uh, clearly, I think in Manitoba, we can take a little bit of comfort, maybe more than a little bit, a lot of comfort, Sherry, that somebody like you has uh, taken on the role to advocate for all the children and youth in the province of Manitoba. Thank you for for what you do and thank you for what you will continue to do. And again, finally, thank you for taking time to be on uh, Humans on Rights. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, and thank you for inviting me, me again. Thanks for listening to Humans on Rights. A transcript of this episode is available by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. Humans on Rights is recorded and hosted by Stuart Murray. Social media marketing by Buffy Davey. Music by Doug Edmond. For more, go to humanrightshub.ca. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.